I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today Hilda Bastian. She is a scientist and contributor to Wired Magazine. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hilda. Thank you. Happy to be here. You wrote you know, most fascinating contribution to Wired about the clash of vaccines and the question, and it remains a question, as to why the United States exclusively pursued mRNA vaccines rather than what has been undertaken in other parts of the world, largely Asia, but also Europe, uh, which are inactivated or attenuated vaccines. So I wanted to just ask you from the outset, why do you think, I haven't gotten a really precise answer on this, why do you think no American scientists, labs, pharmaceutical companies pursued a non-novel vaccination? Well, quite a few have pursued non-mRNA ones, uh, but just not uh, inactivated ones so much. And so the mRNA ones were the ones that came in first, um, but there may be some others coming down the line soon. Tell our listeners about the alternatives to the mRNA that are created here in the U.S. You can, ha- you can really think of vaccines as being in, in kind of three categories. One uh, category is the newer types like mRNA or the types like the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine that's not an mRNA vaccine, but it's a, it's a fairly new type. Then you've got the really classic traditional types, the uh, inactivated vaccines, the live vaccines. That's the sort that we have for for flu, for you know, the, the, the typical vaccines that we're used to thinking of. Uh, and then there's a, a third category that that sort of falls somewhere in between. They're, they're kind of newer types, but they're not as uh, as new as the mRNA and, and others. Uh, and those are like the HPV vaccine. And, uh, and across the world, people have invested in a lot of those different, uh, a lot of vaccines in all of those different types. And uh, it's just that the mRNA ones came in first for a, a variety of reasons. On the question of efficacy and safety, what is the most accurate assessment so far of what we know in, in terms of the various vaccines that have completed stage three? I think the, the main thing that you can actually say is that they're very different, you know, that we shouldn't really be thinking of COVID vaccines as though it's just the one thing and the and one size fits all, what applies to one is going to apply to all of them because they're just so very different. We, we're seeing that there uh, that we've got the possibility of much more va- more effective vaccines than we had originally hoped. So the efficacy on those mRNA vaccines that finish their trials the fastest, they have uh, they've got a very very high efficacy, um, but they also have a fairly high rate of adverse events. But they're also safe. So there's that that difference between you know sort of tolerability and whether something could actually do you any long-term harm. And uh, so that, that's, that's what they're looking like, the, the two that we've had. Um, other vaccines are looking 
less so they could be have less efficacy, um, but still be have quite a lot of efficacy. Um, and the side effects uh, for those are actually really quite different. So the Oxford vaccine, for example, uh, appears to have more a higher rate of severe and, and adverse events generally than the mRNA ones. But the inactivated vaccines coming from China, as far as we know so far, have um, much lower rates of adverse events. So you're really going to have a very varied picture um, amongst these vaccines. A varied picture, but again, the, the American approach in terms of what is being deployed across the population, Moderna and Pfizer, are different from the approach in Asia and specifically the vaccines that are possibly going to vaccinate the very populous countries in, um, in the Pacific. So, and, in, and in Latin America and the Middle East, I mean, they're going to be very widely used and quite a few countries are developing their own because the more traditional, so for example, India has one in phase three trials as well. So because they're the traditional form of, of making vaccines, then a lot more countries are able to do it because you've got, you've got a couple of issues here. What is it that people uh, have the, the scientific and the production capacity to do, um, which they've been doing for a really long time? And then where are the raw materials that you need to do these things? Um, so, for example, that's one of the issues that's, that's, that's the, the logjam with the mRNA vaccines. There's not that many places that can make them because it's such a new thing. And then there's also still uh, raw material issues. So... Um, so you've got that that this balance of uh, who can make them, how much can they make, how quickly can it be made, uh, and that varies a, a lot as well. It's a logistical challenge to have so many different vaccines that are working differently, but I think it's more than a logistical challenge. I think that it's potentially limiting the success of universal vaccination because we just don't know the precise effects these vaccines are having in, in the communities. And with so many different approaches, I, I find that this disorganization or sort of incoherent outcomes may actually be very hard to honestly assess what's going on. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It always really is with vaccines in any event, uh, because you, you've got your you've got the the results that you get in trials that are still actually being really quite careful at that point before you've you've ever got to actually marketing a vaccine. You're still being careful to choose people who are less likely to have an adverse reaction and and, and those sorts of things. The things that you would expect researchers to be very careful about. Uh, when they've got an experimental uh, vaccine. And when it gets rolled out, of course, it gets rolled out to the more general population. So you find that the effectiveness, which is different to efficacy, effectiveness is what really happens in the, in, in the community when you start using them, is going to look a bit is going to look a bit different. It could, could look quite a lot different. And you also have that, those issues of, how how does this play out? So, for example, if people have more confidence in a more traditional type of vaccine and it has fewer adverse events, 
then they may be more likely to agree to be vaccinated because what we need is vaccination, not not just vaccines. Um, that's the the, the the really big issue that we're seeing uh, with rollout at the moment, isn't it? There's there's vaccines, but there's not a lot of vaccinated people. Um, that's what we really need. So if people have more confidence in different types of vaccines, um, then that's an advantage to them uh, in terms of how effective they'll turn out to be, whether or not um, they could theoretically be a, a different type could be more effective. So... Um, I really think that the bo- the bottom line really is a, a really quite a, a happy um, one that we've even got this choice because, of course, it could have been that we had no vaccines at all. That is true, and we have to thank the scientific ingenuity that made it possible. Uh, when you say it's most important to vaccinate, uh, vaccinate to eradicate, and, and we've seen um, very strategically advanced and successful mitigation where you are in Australia, in New Zealand, elsewhere in Asia, um, of course, Europe and the United States and, and many other places, not, not as much. Um, but, but I, I suppose my question to you, Hilda is the eradication strategy speaking globally is um, is it hampered by the fact that you have so many cooks in the kitchen, as it were, so many so many different scientific approaches that are informing the, how the human body reacts, and with a virus that already is mutating in ways that we are seeking to understand, I, the effect of these vaccines on the human body and on how we potentially, how environmentally we're, we're contributing to, to, you know, the, the virus, is that at all a concern the, the, the sort of unknown environmental factors of how novel technologies are being deployed to vaccinate people and how, how human immunity is interacting with the virus or no? I mean, I understand uh, the, the concerns that, that you're expressing and, and some people have them too. Um, I think there's less of a worry with vaccines than there are with some other kinds of drugs, you know. If I take a drug and I take it every single day for 20 years, um, that's going to have more an effect on my body than something that I get injected with twice one year and then maybe I have to get booster shots in subsequent years if the disease is never completely eradicated. Um, that's a completely different uh, kind of effect on the human body. So I, I don't think that we have to be as concerned um, about safety just because they're relatively new. They're not as new. It's not as though they they just started making them um, this year or last year. Um, they've, been, they've been working on vaccines like this for a while. There's just never been that kind of big massive kind of attempt to really test them on a large scale and start using them. So it's not as big and unknown as as it might feel as as though it is. And the risks of the virus are just just so much greater that, um, you know, that that they kind of, that those risks are very, very small in comparison. In terms of the, the issue about having a lot of different vaccines, it was actually really quite important because if, 
if so, at the moment it's looking as though most, if not all of them, are actually going to turn out to work to some degree or other, uh, or n- not all of them, but, but there looks like we're going to have many. Um, but if it had been the other, the other way, if this had actually been very, very difficult to, uh, to, vac- to create a workable vaccine and we had all our irons in one fire and it failed, uh, then we'd be really, really in a, in a dark, dark place. Um, certainly countries like, like the country I live in, we're holding it back, but that's all we're doing. It's a bit like, like the boy with his finger in the dark, you know, you can only hang on there for so long. Um, this is this is a really kind of a temporary thing until we can until we can get vaccines. But you couldn't live like this uh, that easily forever, you know. So uh, we had to have um, multiple options. Have you been vaccinated yet, Hilda? Nobody in Australia uh, is, uh, I, I, except for the people who have been on uh, on early phase clinical trials, which you know we've had quite a few of uh, in Australia. But we haven't uh, approved any or authorised any vaccine for use yet. Based on the depth of your study, your evaluation of the vaccines, uh, which do you think would be most protective um, for countries that are experiencing the pandemic in great volume? Um, Do you have trust that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that are being deployed in the United States are efficacious enough? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, they are, uh, they are actually really quite uh, amazing in terms of vaccines. I mean, they are really like high end in terms of efficacy for a vaccine. So, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the issue with them is not the, the, any concern about efficacy or I don't think about safety either. Uh, It's just the sheer issues of production and distribution of them because there are just so few places that can make them and so the quantity could never be in a quantity even in the US needed, never mind what the world needs and not in any any really quick time at all and uh, and then there's the the difficulty of the distribution that it's just a very very difficult vaccine and a very expensive vaccine um, that just puts it really out of reach of most people in the world anyway. I ask about efficacious because there's what Moderna and Pfizer report from stage three and then Mm -hmm. there's the reality of how effective they will be so yeah we believe yeah. that trials are indicative of great efficacy, but that that isn't necessarily translate into, you know, what what transpires at large. So th- that was really my yes. pointer specific probe to you about whether it right. will translate, in fact, to ninety or ninety five percent efficacy. Yeah, well, it, it can't. It can't be ninety to ninety-five percent effective in real life for a few reasons. And um, one of those is that uh, that the that the the figure that they used in the in the trials to try and see if there's a difference between the vaccine and placebo was designed to sh- to show if there's a difference. Um, it wasn't really a, a, a measure that's going to show what's going to happen uh, in the community. It was specifically 
uh, after you know a, a period of time after people had had their second dose, for example, and we know that people are going to get infected in that interim period. So you've got to drop the the expectations of effectiveness uh, a bit for that, uh, and then you have to drop it again for the fact that the population in general um, is going to be older than the population in those trials and it may be a little bit less, have a little bit less efficacy in much older people. So then you drop it down again a bit. What you have is that the higher the efficacy or the higher the effectiveness in real life, the less people need to be vaccinated in order for the virus to run out of people to jump to you know from one person to the next um, and the lower the efficacy is then the higher the vaccination rate you need because what you're after at a community level is that the the virus just just runs out of bodies to hop to and uh, uh, and so it has to sort of keep hitting people that it can't work on um, until it's it's just at a dead end that's that's what we're after. So it's a balance between how effective the vaccine is and how many people are vaccinated. And is, so, that, is that true of the inactivated or attenuated vaccines as well, that, that we're not going to ever design a vaccine that, that in real life is going to be um, in that ballpark? Of course, you can't get 100%, but, you know, no. I wonder how close to 100% you could get. Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes it becomes that thing because it, because it is that tough balancing act of so many different things. If people trust old school vaccines more, and they hear, you know, they they they, they feel really reassured because they hear that they, they know all the people that they know who got it, nobody seemed to get particularly sick, and so on, um, and that increases you know, further increases the trust. Then, uh, then you could have a higher vaccination rate, and and that could, uh, you know, make up be a trade off for the fact that they've actually got uh, somewhat less uh, efficacy. But either way, if we're talking about all the vaccines, the inactivated vaccines and the mRNA vaccines being still being quite uh, quite effective even after all of that, uh, then that'll be enough uh, if if a really major part of the community gets vaccinated. You could still have pockets, you know. If you have, you, you, you know, you say you've got an average vaccination rate across the country, but you've got entire communities with very low vaccination rates, um, then they're still going to have outbreaks. That makes sense. And, and you can always find new pockets, especially among unvaccinated communities, if there is resistance in a large enough demographic, uh, municipality, town, city, state, then, you know, you're in a vicious cycle. So knowing knowing that, like, based on your study of the vaccine, when is a realistic timetable that COVID-19 could be eradicated? I've heard five years, I've heard, you know, less, but more recently, I've heard something more like five years. I I don't know even yet whether eradication is actually possible now that so many very large countries have have the have this virus out of control. Um, getting rid of it completely, 
might not ever be possible. Um, so it becomes that thing of how do you basically make it relatively toothless, you know, uh, so that the outbreaks are relatively small and that they occur, uh, that they occur in people who are, are less likely to die, those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. I mean, it may be a disease that we have to live with like we have to live with the flu and so on. So it, and, it, may, it may be that the, the vaccination is most important to stabilizing health systems around the world, but in actuality, therapeutics are what are going to make this livable for the vast majority of people ultimately. I, I think, I mean, that that to me is the worst case scenario. Uh, the 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 best scenario would be that it's a, a very unusual um, that it becomes a very unusual disease because this is a, a lot worse than a flu or uh, uh, or uh, a lot of other respiratory diseases that that are infectious. You know, so we we really would be really be ideal to uh, to not have it um, to have as little of it and as small outbreaks as absolutely possible because this isn't just leaving aside the issue of of you don't want these horrific uh, outbreaks that that can bring a, an entire healthcare service and community to its knees. This is an, a pretty awful disease. I mean, as near as we can see, quite a large proportion of the people who recover from it. Um, are still sick months later, and we don't know how much long-term damage the damage to their organs is actually causing because the disease is just too new. So it's really quite a, a, a worry of a disease. Um, so the fact that we actually have the option of vaccinating it, if not to oblivion, then to something really quite close, that's something that that it would be distressing if we didn't grab it with both hands. We'd be snatching defeat from the jaws of victory if if we let that happen. Five years may be impossible for eradication. And like you say, any number of years may, may be impossible for eradication. But five years, does that seem plausible for making it the rare illness that you are describing? I really don't know because I am not yet at all sure about how how much vaccine is actually going to be produced and how many people are actually going to be vaccinated. But you so think you think I think there's a really quite a large range on it. I think things could could be really you know we could be feeling very differently about this within 2 years. Um, but it may still, you know, but but it may take it may be sooner. It may take longer. I think making it rare is entirely contingent upon vaccinating populations, and you know, as we know, improving the supply chain and, and manufacturing capacity so that as many countries and populations can be vaccinated. You think it's it's completely going to be correlated to to that making COVID more rare is going to be based on the success of vaccination deployment. Yes, uh, along with the things that, that you've got to do now to try and, and keep the virus under as much control until 
you get to that level of vaccine because you know, as we've seen with variants emerging and, and so on, uh, the last thing we need is to do nothing except wait for the vaccines to kick in. Um, we've got to do everything we can in the meantime. Uh, but no matter no matter how much of the other things that we do, uh, we we still absolutely are going to need the vaccines. I mean, it's not common yet for people to get the to be infected with COVID nineteen twice, but it hasn't been around very long, and uh, so some of those those communities that we've seen that have had really out of control outbreaks, and people had thought gee, the natural immunity is going to protect them to some extent. Uh, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't actually turned out to be that way. Um, it just keeps coming back in wave after wave and we don't know how much it might change, how uh, natural immunity that's, that's not gained from a vaccine, how much that might uh, just you know, diminish over time, all of those kinds of things. So... Oh, we basically have to throw everything we've got at it and uh, until the vaccines can can do their job if we if we do it right. Hilda Bastian, scientist and contributor to Wired, thank you for your insight today. Thank you.